Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by Wetfrog Studios. Visit wetfrogstudios.com pragmatic to get in touch and take advantage of a special offer for their app icon and logo design service exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. This episode is also sponsored by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com pragmatic for a free audiobook download. We'll talk more about our sponsors during the show. I'm your host, John Chigi, and I'm joined today by a special guest host, Mr. Mike Hurley. How are you, Mike? I'm very well, John. Thank you for having me today. No, thank you for coming. Appreciate it. So, or am I uh, thanking you? Am I, or you, should you be thanking me for having you? Like, how does it work as a guest host? Well, I'd, I'd like, I like to see you as a, as a co-host more so than just a guest. I just right. but which is why I'm kind of con- con- so connecting the two terms guest host as opposed to one or the other. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> co-guest. But, yeah, co-guest. Hey, there maybe I'll switch up to that, but absolutely. <laughs> so for listeners of uh, the show that don't read uh, my site Tech Distortion, um, which you know you probably should, but that's okay if you're too busy. Uh, and those that haven't don't follow me on Twitter or the Pragmatic Show account uh, may not realize that uh, there have been some changes uh, on the show. And I just want to briefly talk about that before we dive into our to our topic for the, to today. So uh, basically, after a bit of soul searching, uh, I've decided to take Pragmatic Indie. And I know that Indie is sort of one of those um, I don't know, catchy terms, terms of the moment or something. The last couple of years, I'm not sure how, you, but. The idea is that um, I've decided I wanted to shake up the show a little bit and have different guest hosts each week. So, but don't worry, everyone. Ben, ben will still be making appearances as his time permits. And I just wanted to make this as clear as possible because there's been some speculation regarding why I've done this, why I've why I've moved away from Fiat Lux and I've gone on my own, and I'm sort of uh, I'm shaking up the format. There's there's really no gossip or backstory or anything really interesting. Uh, it's just being on a network, it takes a lot of pressure off you as uh, as a podcaster because they take care of everything for you, that you just show up and you record. And the the trade-off, though, is that you hand over a degree of, of control to them. And and generally, that's that's not, too, not, not an issue. It's just that after a few months, I realized that I'm actually a control freak. Um, you know, people have actually told me that in the past, and I sort of was like, nah, no, I'm not. Um, anyway, so in this little, uh, voyage of self-discovery, I realized, okay, maybe I am. And in the end, I just decided that, you know what, I actually would like more control of my show. And that was it really. Um, Ben and I are still really good friends. And I honestly think the work that the Fiat Lux team are doing on Constellation is excellent and people should be paying attention to what they're doing if they aren't already. Uh, I do think it is really good and you should check it out. But at this point, I'm taking on uh, the, the whole job, editing, publishing, and talking with sponsors and such, uh, where previously they were handled by the network. But it's not a problem for me, I don't think, because I've done this before in Existential, so I know what I'm up for. It's uh, it's nothing I haven't done before. So anyway, um, there's honestly not much more to say about it. Uh, if you want to read the text version of what I just said, um, there's a post on Tech Distortion called Pragmatic Season 2. Uh, I'm currently working through some issues with um, iTunes and the iTunes that Pragmatic has disappeared from iTunes, unfortunately. Uh, I am still waiting for the new feed to go up. As soon as it goes up, I'll let you know. Uh, in the meantime, if you visit techdistortion slash podcasts slash pragmatic, um, there's an RSS feed you can subscribe to. But then if you're listening to this, chances are you've already found that or your podcatcher has already updated. So that'll be all good. Okay, so enough about that and uh, time to get on with the show. So one of the other things I'm doing uh, differently uh, is that I have a, a list of topics of things that I am you know, would like to talk about and I'm letting my guest host each week pick what they would like to talk about. So Mike, what would you like to talk about today? Well, it was a very interesting list. Uh, I was very daunted by the list. So I decided um, rather than go 
and talk about something I know a lot about. Well, really, there wasn't many things on the list that I was uh, definitely know as much as you would, then, John, because you are knowledgeable about all things. Uh-huh. Um, I decided to go for something that angers me because uh, some I think some people enjoy it when I get angry about things. Um, and that is daylight savings time. And by extension for me, anything time zone related. <laughs> I actually, it's uh, that's a good choice because daylight saving is something that uh, in I believe the northern hemisphere started about uh, about three four weeks ago now. So this, I think that's about right, isn't it? Uh, that seems about right. And and the yeah. reason so the, I think the reason maybe it upsets us both is because we're not in America, so <laughs> we have to to deal with uh, our American friends, colleagues, and coworkers. Um, when they change their time over, and uh, well, I, I know this is the same for me anyway. I don't know if it, I don't know what the the deal is in in Australia, so I apologise, John. That's all um, right. But a few years ago, there was a change, and, and I believe it was in the states. They changed when they were doing their daylight savings time, if I am correct. Yeah, the pr- some. Mm. Yeah, and, and so then it became a point of now there is about a three or four week difference in some in one case in which uh, our time zones change and that that wreaks havoc upon my schedule well i can i can definitely sympathize one of the problems with podcasting although it's not something that this is this is not a new thing for me personally because well before i was podcasting when i worked at nortel was the first time i crossed uh, the time zone problem uh, because nortel had um, development facilities working on um, the metrocell there was um I was based in Calgary. We had an office in Ottawa. Uh, we had one in Richardson, Texas, and we also had one in the UK. I'm trying to remember the um, Maiden. Was it Maidenhead, I think? Anyway, it's been a while. But anyway, the point is that we had four time zones to contend with. We also had a Sydney office, um, which you would think, being from Australia, hey, I've worked at Nortel in Sydney, but no, I didn't. Anyway, um, and that was always frustrating as hell, but... Uh, the the problem is that there's only one sun and the the earth spins in one direction and the earth isn't flat so it's kind of i don't know how i can i can uh, soothe your time zone uh, ills but uh, apart from offering to spread the world flat somehow uh don't know how that's going to be John that'd be great well okay I'll, I'm, I'll have to get back to you on that one but uh yeah as for daylight saving though i've always had this deep-seated dislike for it but that's because i grew up in the tropics so one of the things that i wanted to get my head around and one of the things that's been bugging me for years and i guess this is an opportunity for me to finally delve into exactly what i hate about it (laughs) about daylight saving where it came from whose crazy idea it was and whether or not it actually makes a difference to anything so that's what we're going to talk about so we'll start with um the basics which is uh, what, how do we set midday? And this is just, I mean, okay, this is, maybe this is high school stuff, but whatever, I'll cover it real quick anyway. So the definition of midday is the time of day at which the sun is directly overhead. Simple enough, right? So you stick, mm-hmm. place a stick in level ground, a, a perfectly straight stick on perfectly level ground that is precisely perpendicular to the ground. No shadow will be cast on the eastern or western sides of that stick at midday. Now, you're still going to get a shadow based on the angle of the sun, because the Earth's tilted at 23.5 degrees on its axis. So anywhere between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, there will be two days each year where there is no shadow at all in any direction. Unless, of course, you're right on the tropic, in which case it only happens once. So that's how you figure out midday. And daylight saving pushes midday out for miscellaneous reasons we'll get to. So, Wouldn't it suck if you were a kid doing this experiment and you picked it on one of the two days in which it would cast no shadow? <laughs> it would probably... really ruin you for life. Where's the shadow gone? <laughs> My stick's broken. I can just picture that. <laughs> well, see, I, I grew up in Rockhampton, which is right on the Tropic of Capricorn. So this is one of those things that yeah, you, we we sort of learned about in school. We did. We actually did the did did the exercise. Um, actually, I'm trying to think about, yeah, we actually did do that exercise um, on the uh, basketball courts. And um, yeah, but it's not, it's not, but you go further south from there and you'll, yeah, you'll always have a shadow. But anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So there's two main arguments behind daylight saving, as in why the hell we want to do this. The idea is, 
It's more sunlight time in the evenings to spend doing recreational activities. But the funny thing is that's actually not the reason that it was originally implemented. It was part of one of the proposals for doing it, but the, the reason that got it over the line was actually saving energy. Or at least that was the claim. So we'll dig into that one in a minute. But the funny thing is, the whole idea of changing the clocks and pushing the sunlight back or dragging the human day forward, if that makes any sense, um, it doesn't actually work in an agrarian society because people have to work when the sun's up. So it really, daylight saving could really only happen once our society had predominantly shifted to a business, uh, office, industrial, uh, school-based structure, you know, with with commuting hours, business school hours, industrial you know, facility hours remaining fixed. So it's like, you always show up at eight in the morning. Or if you're a nutter like me, you show up at a quarter to seven in the morning. Mind you, I'll leave at 3.30, so it's not so bad. Uh, so bottom line is, you had to wait till that society had reached that point before you could even do this. Because otherwise, why would you not do it um, you know, when the sun was up? Because surely that's more efficient, the sun's up, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway... So the idea behind daylight saving uh, is you wind the clocks forward by an hour. This is like the modern majority, okay? And frankly, the whole world is in a crazy place. So it's not all like this, but the vast majority, it's one hour. Some places are half an hour, some are two hours. There's probably even a three-hour one out there if I dug deeper. But honestly, uh, let's just go with the vast majority is one hour. And I believe that there are some states in, in America... Mm. That do not observe as well. Oh yeah, so they do nothing. Hey, hands up, <laughs> hands up here, mate. I'm in Queensland, and we do not observe daylight saving. So, oh, I okay. yeah, we're one of we're one of the rogue states, or oh, something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, okay. We don't all wear like balaclavas and things, though. But anyway, all right. So the point is, uh, yes. Look, um, it's an hour, and the idea is you wind a clock uh, forward at the beginning of that of that time period, wherever it is, whatever day of month. And that also varies from state to state and country to country, which also sucks. And you wind the clock back again an hour when you're done. So you lose an hour, then you gain an hour at the end. Okay, so who was the who was the nutter that came up with this idea? It was actually credited originally, although I'm sure someone else came up with this idea well before this. It just wasn't documented. Um, was originally credited to Benjamin Franklin. But the funny thing is, nothing ever came of it. There was no ever formal... Uh, proposal to actually implement it. It was just like a, well, you know, if we if we did this, then you know that would be cool, and it never actually happened. So I think that if Benjamin Franklin hadn't been famous for a whole host of other reasons, um, that I think are well understood, that no one would ever know. But bottom line is, it was first credited to him. Nothing ever actually came of it till 123 years later, and that was a when a British man by the name of William Willett tried several times to get what's recognised as the first official attempt to introduce daylight saving into law in Britain. But after eight years of failing to do so, he unfortunately passed away and um, his efforts unfortunately uh, stopped there. Now, the funny thing is that it was formally introduced by Germany and it was introduced on 30th of April, 1916. So that was obviously in the middle of World War I as a method of conserving fuel. And they shifted it not by one hour, but two hours. And the interesting part is that not long after that, as in like only, uh, I don't think it was about four or five months later, something like that, not long afterwards, um, England then adopted it. Mind you, so did most of Europe. And even the next year, even America adopted it. Actually, they adopted it in 1918. But it makes sense why people did it months later in Europe, right, if there was a war going on. Oh, well, yeah, but the whole point was that they saw value in doing it. Oh, okay. So, it's like, here was William Willett trying to convince people, hey, you know, we're, um, we should shift the clocks to make it, you know, give us more leisure time, which is more for his angle and less of the energy-saving angle. And then you're in the thick of a war and someone says, you know, hey, for the war effort, and everyone's like, yep, let's do it. Well, I mean, trust the Germans to think about efficiency in all of this. Yeah, well, that's true. But what's what's <laughs> interesting, and we'll get to this in a minute, is is whether or not there was much of a gain. But that was the perception. Perception becomes reality. That's that's one of those things. But anyway, <laughs> okay. So the U.S. right. So the U.S. adopted it in 1918, and uh, it was pretty much after the war, or at the very tail end of it. Um, 
And uh, so Europe followed, including Russia. And the problem was that it was so unpopular, it was repealed the following year. But it was repealed. It was a federal law and it was repealed at a federal level the following year. But because it was left to the states to decide, as in the individual states to decide in them in America, some states chose to stick with it. In, in, and so even some bigger cities, if you can imagine that. So, for example, New York stuck with it as a city. So, New York was on, uh, was on daylight saving time, but most of the other surrounding area wasn't. But you see, this sounds crazy to us right now, you know? But you've got to remember, back in those days, um, the telegraph was really, and the telephone were all, you know, very new, very rare. Um, and there wasn't, you didn't have satellite offices. You weren't trying to synchronize different time zones. Even outside between cities, there wasn't a hell of a lot going on because there's a lot of commuting, right? And you know, most people still had horses and buggies, right? Automobiles weren't a big thing then. You know, they were still too expensive. So, it was a very different atmosphere. So, it seems crazy to us that just a city would choose to keep it. And yet, that's exactly what happened. So, anyway. Okay. However, the US reintroduced it uh, between 1942 and 1945. Oddly enough, in the Second World War. So, again, the push came from the fact of, you know, fuel savings. And it was a year-round measure. It wasn't just summer. It was all year round. And it was known as wartime. Uh, literally, like, not, not summertime, not daylight saving time. It was called wartime, which is a very serious sound to it. But the, the, the worst part of that was that um, there were a lot of states and cities that remembered what it was like in 1918 and dug their heels in and said, no, we're not doing it. So even though it was mandated that people would do it, a lot of states didn't do it. So you just had this absolute nightmare where you had no idea what time it was if you were going between states. You had just no idea. So some states would, some states wouldn't, and they would change whenever they felt like it, and you just wouldn't know. So it, that just, to me, is insane. Even more insane than what we've got now. So anyway. Okay. So the UK, they stuck with it, sort of generally speaking. Uh, and when I say generally speaking, is that the first decade or so after the First World War, it was very patchy. So, for uh, the, the one thing I read about was the people that did the Tide Times refused to adopt it because they 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 were saying that um, you know the tides are governed by the sun, so we will keep to the real time. Thank you. And I can just I can just picture them putting their hands on their hips saying, "I don't think so." Um, also, I guess their livelihoods. Yeah, and a lot of those instances were judged by the tide, so it makes sense. Like you know, assume, mm. assuming there was lots of fish trade, absolutely, there, that it would oh. make sense because they're not actually judging their time by that. That instance is not judged by the sun; it's judged by the tide, and their work is also judged by the tide. So these two things kind of make sense to go hand in hand. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's that's that's the whole uh, the whole agrarian angle, right? Because yeah, you go out before the sun comes up. You come out when the sun is coming up, generally. I'm not a fisherman. I think that's how it works. I've, I've seen Deadliest Catch, so I apparently know everything about fishing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, hey. Um, oh, hang on, that's crab fishing and whatever. Anyway, yes. So, yeah, absolutely right. And and the whole the pushback from the farming community was, was huge because there's no advantage for a farmer at all. They still have to work when the sun is up. It's just now that if they're delivering produce, everywhere starts an hour earlier. So they're like, oh, great. So now I've got to get up an hour earlier in order to make sure my, my chores are done. And let's if I'm milking the cows or catching the fish, that so I have to be back to the market with my fresh produce an hour earlier because these city clowns want to spend more time jogging in the evening. So there's a lot of that pushback, a lot of, a lot of hostility. So I think um, the UK struggled there for a while. But when it got to World War II, they did the same thing that the US did. Um, and they, but they, well, not exactly the same thing. They pushed the clocks again ahead one hour in the winter time and two hours in the summertime. So again, subtly different from the US, but you know they still sort of adopted it. But you can see where this is going, right? This is just you know a recipe for insanity. Everyone makes up their own mind about when they're going to adopt it, how they're going to adopt it. There's just no uniformity to it, and it all seems to be driven by this push for oh, it's it's more it's cheaper. There's energy savings. So, 
Okay. Before we go on any further, though, I'd just like to take a minute to talk about our first sponsor, Audible. Audible is a leading provider of premium spoken audio information and entertainment and allows listeners to choose the audio versions of their favorite books. Why would you want to do this? So many, I think, so many of our day-to-day activities, you need your eyes on the job. So when there's a book you really want to read, you're so busy with other things, you just, you just can't find the time because your eyes are busy. And that's where audiobooks come in. It's much easier to multitask when you're listening to music, a podcast, or an audiobook. Whether you're driving, doing housework, yard work, with Audible, you can still read your favorite book and you don't miss out. It's really cool, actually. You can buy books individually or you can sign up for the Audible Listener Program, which gives you book credits each month for a low monthly fee. You can download your audiobook to your PC or your Mac, your Windows phone, Android, or your Apple iOS device, and you can listen to it wherever you are. Now, me personally, I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan. I've read all his books, so I thought, you know, let's have a look on Audible and see what they got. And what I found is that there were 19 audiobooks in their libraries, including all the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, uh, my two favorites, uh, the two Dirk Gently books, as well as two Doctor Who episodes he was involved with, including the unfinished uh, Shader episode. And that was actually, um, for those that know a little bit about Douglas Adams, that was the basis for the first Dirk Gently book. And the best part, though, is that some of the books are actually read by Douglas Adams himself. And I'd never, I'd never heard Douglas Adams um, actually before, and listening to that was just awesome. So I've been listening to Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, and it is fantastic, read by Douglas Adams. But if you're not into listening to the original author, because some people say not all authors make the best narrators. So there are also books on there, the same books, uh, but they're read by a different narrator. So there's plenty of other options. And in my case, for example, uh, the other Dirk Gently book, The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul, was uh, read by Harry Enfield. And uh, for anyone that don't know, for those that don't know him, he played Dermot in Men Behaving Badly. Uh, That's for those that remember that show. Maybe I'm showing my age there, but anyway. So there's lots to choose from. Do you have any Audible books that you've you've read, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I've been an Audible customer since 2007. Um, Wow. And I think that I've actually read some, yeah. So I would also like to recommend, so I have two recommendations now, The Hitchhiker's Guide books um the the first one the original the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy there is a narration by stephen fry which is on audible which is incredible um, because stephen fry is incredible but i would like to go back to the third book that i ever bought on audible and it's one that i've listened to multiple times and it's called the second coming of steve jobs the unabridged version Cool. Um, this book, it was published in 2000, so it's not the most recent of, of Steve Jobs' history, but it's by Alan Deutschman, and it goes back and it tells a lot of his early story, you know, if you've seen The Pirates of Silicon Valley, it's all that story, but a lot of Pixar stuff as well, and it talks about um, the Toy Story movie and, and a bunch of things that happened around that time, and it, even though it's a fairly incomplete version of Steve Jobs' whole history, right, because it, it ends 14 years ago, in my opinion, it is miles better than the official Walter Isaacson book. Um, so that's the second coming of Steve Jobs. I highly recommend it. The unabridged version is just, just two minutes shy of eight hours long. So you're definitely going to get uh, your value for money on that one. Really, really great. Awesome. Cool. I'll have to check that one out too, actually. Sounds really good. So... The thing about Audible is that they have books in business, classics, um, erotica and sexuality, uh, fiction, history, yeah, I know, <laughs> romance, mysteries and thrillers, sci-fi, fantasy, self-development, kids, young adult and lots more. With over 150,000 titles, pretty much every genre, you're going to find what you're looking for. So right now, you can get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial by signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash pragmatic. Make sure you use that specific URL, audiblepodcast.com slash pragmatic for your free audiobook. I'd like to personally thank Audible for sponsoring Pragmatic. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to just quickly uh, talk about is the reaction at the time for daylight saving. And I found a an article, you know, there's a few websites on the internet where they scan in old newspapers 
and they do some OCR on them, optical character recognition. And you basically get a snapshot as to what it was like. You don't have to go to the you know library anymore with a micro fish and the you know silly little doodad. If people know what I'm talking about, um, anyway, I have, have no you, idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, Not um, that's okay. Well, uh, never mind. Microfish another day. And no, it doesn't swim. It's not a fish. Okay, Is it like a film, like a tiny negative, like film. Yeah, thing? yeah. Think, think of microfilm, but it's more like um, the card sizes varied, of course. But it was what they did is they they took the full size and they would shrink it down onto a small clear piece of plastic, like a like a transparency, and you uh, loaded this thing into a. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Think of it like a, a photocopier lid, but much smaller. And uh, there's a hole in the top. So it's all like, well, there's like the frame around the outside of the photocopier lid. And you would put this thing down on a piece of glass. You'd close the lid and it would shine light up through it. And that light would come up through the hole. Then there would be, um, you know, rear projection televisions. have mm-hmm. a, yeah, They have like a, a magnifying uh, mirror on the back. And so the, the screen shoots up onto the magnifying mirror and then it reflects onto the main screen in front of you, which you know makes it look much larger. And that's exactly what this thing does. It's just a large magnifying glass, essentially. And right in front of you, then you've got text. And frankly, depending on the age of the microfish uh, film, uh, it was reasonably good quality. Uh, it was generally blue, uh, sometimes black. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, these things were, you know, they'd fit like four, five pages, six pages, whatever, eight pages of a newspaper on there. So you could look at an entire newspaper in a few slides of microfish. So the, the appeal is obvious. They um, they sort of they stored a lot of things on them. And when I was starting out at university, when just before was that was ninety three, I think <sighs> ninety four. Anyway, point is that um, that was before computers had really taken off. They had computers in the library, and they were just starting on their um, uh, their decimal, uh, bringing the Dewey Decimal System into the library for searching. Uh, into the computers, but um, yeah, it was it was not there yet. So we, there were still a lot of things on Microfish. So anyway, um, what they've done is they've done the modern equivalent. All right, they've done a, a Google uh, Google Books, whatever, scanning all these things. And I found a clip from an, on 1916 uh, Australian newspaper article. And I love reading old papers because the the way journalism was done back then was very different, and I think in a lot of ways, frankly, better. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, the language they use is, is, is really quaint when you think back to what it was like 100 years ago. So anyway, and, and the, the, I've linked to this in the show notes. I, th- I find it out fascinating, but if you're not into history and stuff, maybe it isn't. But anyway, it's called pulling, uh, Putting the Clock, Saving Artificial Light was the title. So I like that, Saving Artificial Light. Anyway, and what it does is it sort of explains in the language of the day how it helped the industrial classes. And it gives an insight of the thinking at the time. At that point in history, many homes still had gas lighting, but the electric light, as they called it, I'm doing air quotes, the electric light, was very widely used, according to the article. So it was a point in history where electricity was sort of becoming more popular, mainly for safety reasons, because and and because gas was you know then more was was more expensive. Uh, of course, back then there were very few electric appliances. So anyone that watches Downton Abbey. Um, <laughs> I don't know if people watch that or not. I, I watch it because my wife watches it. Hands up anyone who does that. But anyway, so the point is, in Downton Abbey, you sort of get this idea of the chronology when they get some of the electric appliances and so on uh, around that sort of time period. So electric appliances were still very rare. Most heating was in fireplace, was with fireplaces using coal or wood. Central heating was rare and only the really only the richest people or businesses would have it back in those days. So the point of saving energy... Uh, the whole drive behind Germany's reason for doing it and Australia's reason for adopting it, the US, you know, Europe, UK, everywhere, was that it would save energy. When it was saving energy, all they were thinking about saving was energy being used to turn on lights. So the argument goes like this. If you are waking up uh, in summertime and it, without daylight saving and the sun is already up, you, you don't want to get up at five in the morning just because the sun is up because you don't have to be at work until nine o'clock or eight o'clock. So you'll wake up at 6.30 in the morning or seven in the morning because back in those days, towns were much smaller, commuting times were much shorter. So why would you wake up at stupid o'clock when you can go, <laughs> you can sleep in until 6.30? 
So let's say the sun comes up at five and goes down. Uh, sorry, hang on. Sun comes up at five and you get up at 6.30. There's one and a half hours or thereabouts of sunlight that you're sleeping through. So at nighttime, you would then have the lights on that extra hour and a half, assuming everyone sleeps an average the same amount of time each night, which is not true, but let's assume on average that they do, six to nine hours. On average, the average person in the average household in the industrial classes um, that actually have a, have lighting in their house that isn't candles are, are going to notice the difference. Although I suppose you could say maybe to save on their candle budget. I don't know. But anyhow, the point is that that extra hour of daylight is more useful at the end of the day if you're going to stay up till 8, 9 o'clock at night before you go to sleep because it's dark by then. But if you shift the sunlight, then you don't need to have lights on until you go to sleep because when you go to sleep is when the sun's going down. So that's the whole idea. But that's really, when you think about it, quite a niche situation. And the reason it's niche is because think about the the first thing that came to mind when I was, when I was doing the research on this and the thing that had bugged me for years is how the hell does that account for street lighting? Because street lighting is always on at night because people need to get around and see where they're going. So the street lights are always going to be on. So it doesn't matter if you push daylight or not, unless you turn off your street lights during the night, which you know most, most cities don't do now and didn't do then. Um, you know, there's no gain there. And that actually consumes quite a lot of electricity, a lot more than people think. So that was the whole idea. Conserving gas, conserving electricity, you know, for the war effort, rah, rah, rah. And as a secondary benefit, it was going to give people more time in the evening. So that's the whole reason that people did it. Anyway. Okay. So daylight saving as we know it today, at least in the United States, and I, I sort of, I, I picked the US because, well, first of all, um, you know, uh, well, is there a good example? It was brought in in 1966. It was called the Uniform Time Act, and it was an attempt to bring all the states into alignment. And it was mo- mostly successful, but it was tweaked multiple times after that. It wasn't until the mid-80s where they finally had what we essentially have now. But as you pointed out, Mike, they recently, I think, shifted again slightly, I think you were saying. I'm going to double check this, John, because I feel like I, uh, I think on this show, on, uh, as opposed to any show that I've ever been on, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll, I'll let you check that and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that in a minute then. But as I understand it anyway, every place in the world is free to do whatever the heck they want um, <laughs> so, and, and they will. So... In my country, for example, Queensland does not actually have daylight saving. We did for a period of time. Uh, we trialed it for a few years. There was a massive backlash, kind of like there was in America in 1918, 1919, and they repealed it. So, state by state basis, uh, there are several states in Australia that don't observe it. And there are a few in the US, I believe, that don't, or North America that don't. But, um, and the, the amount will vary slightly. And that's what it makes it in, confusing. Sorry, John. It was in 2007. Right. Um, in 2007, uh, they changed the date. So as of that year, daylight savings time began on the second Sunday of March and ends on the first Sunday of November. This change results in a, a daylight savings time period that is five or four weeks longer than previously. Okay. Which affects me greatly. Well. I'll interrupt you. Oh, no, 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 not at all. That's fine. I mean, that's the, the problem is that because it's arbitrary. So Yeah, yeah that's it, my main, that is the main crux of my issue. Is it's yeah. just like, we'll do it whenever. I mean, it doesn't really matter. So well, this, we'll just exactly. change it. So this is, and this, this, is exactly the, this is exactly the problem. So it, we, we look at the whole energy point of view. Um, and honestly, okay, so let, let, let's, keep, let's keep exploring um, just a little bit more about where it's ideal and where it, where it does work, where it doesn't work, and why. Because this is the other thing that's bugged the, bugged the crap out of me for so long, is that um, daylight saving was always favoured by the southern states. Um, for us, the ones that are further from the equator, whereas in North, Northern Hemisphere, of course, it would be more favoured by northern states up to a point. So the question is, why is that the case? So if you are living between the tropics or living you know, close to the poles, the idea is less useful. And if you think about the duration of a day, 
in those locations, it, it starts to make a bit more sense. Because if you're close to the equator, you basically get the same amount of sunlight all year round. It varies by plus or minus an hour or two at most, if that. Where I grew up, it was really a variance of only an hour and a bit, hour and a half, I think, something like that. If you're on the equator, it's, you know, it's like half an hour at the extremes, something like that. It's not a massive difference. So pushing the time back, what exactly are you gaining? You're not gaining anything really extra at the end of the day. You've got a common constant temperature, essentially. You've, you, know, you don't really have much of a winter because where I grew up, our winter was very, very mild. If you, you dare to call it a winter, never went negative, you know, no snow, no nothing. I mean, we're the tropics. So, you know, and living in Rockhampton was very difficult when, when they brought out daylight saving because the hottest part of the day is, is two in the afternoon and it pushed the hottest part of the day in, you know, in funny time, daylight saving time, um, to, uh, to three in the afternoon. And it meant that during school time, the kids, we were all at school during, you know, an even ex- more extended hot part of the day. So it was sort of a bit weird for us. And that was um, only half the problem. So now you, let's go to the other extreme. Let's say you're living near the poles. And when I say living near the poles, I don't mean you're an Eskimo and an igloo. Okay. I mean, I guess you could be, but let's assume you're not. I lived in Calgary for two and a half years. And Calgary is, um, you know, no, it, not, not just like two days drive, pretty solid driving north to get to the Arctic Circle. So it's... It's close, but that's, it's that's closer than most. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. It's not. Yeah, you know, as yeah, it's it's still not okay. You can't do that driving from London. Um, I guess you you could get the you know channel across and and so on, but yeah, you know, it's a long way. It's a much longer way to get to the Arctic Circle from where you are. Uh, so anyway, the point is that the days in summer are very very long because of the angle of the Earth. The sun came up at something like four in the morning and set at 10 o'clock at night. So, in summertime. So, the thing is, well, do I really need another hour? Do I need to go to sleep at 11? Like, do I need sunlight till 11 o'clock at night? Am I actually going to use that? 10 to 11. Yeah, the sun's up. Let's go. Of course I'm not. I don't care. I just wait. Well, I, what was really holding me back was the fact that there wasn't enough sun. That's, that's exactly right. I'm going to go out and work on my tan at ten o'clock at night. Let's go. God, it is unbelievable. Anyway, so hey, look, but this John, is, now the option is there for you, though. What? Yeah, great. You know? <laughs> Count the number of people taking advantage of that. Oh, unbelievable. But you know, the flip side of that is okay. Well, great. Now I'm I'm waking up at you know, 3 a.m. with the sun as opposed to 4 a.m. with the sun. No, because when I was living over there, because I'm... I'm okay. So, I grew up in the tropics, which means that my eyes, as soon as I see sunlight, I'm like, I'm awake. You know, that's it. And since I've had children, I've become sleep deprived. I've learned to sleep when I can. That's less of a problem. But when I was, when I was younger, I was always up as soon as the sunlight hit my eyelids. This, this is the way I'm wired. I blame the tropics. I don't know if that's really the cause, but whatever. So anyway, point is um, the point is that I blacked out the window. So I actually got some uh, masking tape and some black cloth, and I did a double layer of it around the the windows, just to stop, just to the bedroom, so that sunlight would not get in during summer because I was barely sleeping. I was getting three or four hours of sleep. It was just so messed up. Uh, and then of course I take it down for the winter, and yeah, you know, you'd look outside and it's like, oh, time to go to work. Oh, it's dark. Oh, getting home from work. Oh, it's dark. Because in winter it's the other extreme, right? Your sun doesn't come up till eight thirty in the morning. Sun doesn't. Your sun goes down at three thirty, four in the afternoon. So it's you know dark and dreary. Anyway, never mind that. I like the snow for a while, but uh, when you got to de-ice your car for the thousandth time, the novelty wears off. Anyhow, okay, so it makes no sense at that point because well, it just doesn't. You're not lacking for sunlight in the middle of summer. The other thing that's different, of course, is as you go further north or south away from the equator, is that the time, how do I put this? The rate of change of the number of hours in a day increases. So, if I'm living in the, at, on the equator, I might gain or lose a fraction of a minute with every passing day, depending on which direction you know the seasons are going. So... Whereas if I'm at a high latitude, uh, latitude, longitude, I always get them mixed up. Anyway, 
uh, closer to the pole, there we go, um, it's a much, much bigger change. Like you could lose like five minutes a day as you go from day to day. So the days will get longer by big, bigger chunks all the time, which means because you're going, you're obviously, because you're going from a shift of having six hours of sunlight to having, oh, what is it, 18 hours of sunlight over the space of six months. So obviously each step every day is going to be bigger. And this leads to the next problem that you're, you were sort of, you know, complaining about, which is when do you start and stop daylight saving? Because it's going to vary depending upon where you are relative to the equator and relative to the poles. So no matter what date you choose, someone's going to be pissy. Someone's going to say, hang on. Now, this is, this is, it's either too early or it's too late. So you wind the clocks forward, you're much higher, much closer to the poles. And it's like, oh, the sun's not, sun's not even close to up yet. I'm going to work in the dark because of daylight saving. And then within a few weeks, you're good. You're going to, week in, in, going to work in the sunlight. You know what I mean? It's like it, it's not you you because states uh, Alberta is a good example, but there's also other states, and the other states um, in America, like uh, like California, is a good example. It's quite a north and south um, very very large state, so it's going to have a wide variance in daylight hours from um, the border with Mexico up to um, the border with uh, Oregon. I think it is. So. That's quite, a, that's quite a decent distance. Now, Queensland's got the same problem. So, we on our southern border, which I'm closest to the southern border, all the way up to Cape York, which is really not that far from the equator. That's, uh, let's see, Brisbane to Cairns is, what, 1,700 uh, kilometres, and that's by road. So, I'm, I don't know that off the top of my head, but it's a long way, okay? Very long way. Uh, more, And Alberta had the same problem. So does British Columbia. All the states, uh, all of the, sorry, I should call them provinces in Canada, have the same problem. So, But you can't, you, you can tend to set one daylight saving time zone for that one state. So it's stuck with that one state, right? Mm-hmm. But all points in that state have a different time when the sun comes up. So you, it's a compromise even when you begin, unless you then split the state. So then people say, well, we don't want to split the state into two pieces. And that's been what they were arguing in Queensland for the longest time. So, oh, we'll, we'll draw a line at, uh, I don't know, about 400 k's or 300 miles north of here. And anything north of that can stick with normal time and southeast will we'll go daylight saving. And then, of course, like, oh, now we're a state divided. And now, oh, so what? I'm going to wind my clock forward and back every time I go between Brisbane and Rockhampton. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, it becomes difficult to manage. So people then shy away from that. So there's, okay, we'll stick with a state-based time zone. So that means you're always stuck with a compromise. So why do so many people like this? And it comes back down to where the majority of people are. And and that, that really is the, the bottom line with all of this. So where are the majority of people? And there's a band around the world, the Northern and Southern Hemisphere, where you're either away, between the tropics and the Arctic Circle, but nowhere near the Arctic Circle, maybe about halfway to the Arctic Circle, where it's ideal. And the funny thing is that the majority of the world's population live in those bands. Alas, therefore, this would statistically seem to be we have it mainly because the majority of people like it because for the majority of people it works and to hell with the people it doesn't work for. Seems to be one of the reasons that we're stuck with it. So there's a little bit more to say, but before we do that, I'd just like to quickly talk about our second sponsor. And that is none other than Wet Frog Studios. Now selling a business or an app is a lot like selling a house. You can take a huge amount of time and money redecorating and bringing the house up to scratch and modernizing it. You can take great photos, build a wonderful big website showing off the house. But there's one missing piece that can stop buyers from ever walking through that front door, and that's curb appeal. The old saying goes, don't judge a book by its cover. But frankly, when you're dealing with human nature, most of us do. And people do the same thing with business logos, app icons, and, well, books, and these days, ebooks. Without some curb appeal, people won't usually take the time to check out what's inside, and all of your hard work can go unnoticed. Now, you might have seen recently that the show got a fresh coat of paint. The new artwork is the result of working with Aaron over at Wet Frog Studios, and I can't recommend him highly enough. Remember that awesome icon that the drafts had for the first couple of years? Aaron designed that. 
He also designed the branding for 512pixels.net, minimalmac.com, and lots of other recognizable apps, businesses, and websites, including, I think, perhaps, Mike, some of yours. Yes. Um, I used to run a podcasting network called 70 Decibels. Um, and it's still the, the website is still live because I'm too lazy to take it down, 70decibels.com. <laughs> and uh, I worked with Aaron over the whole time that the site was around. One, he created the gorgeous logo, 70 Decibels logo, but all of the, the show artworks were, were Aaron's too. Um, and my the main thing that I can say about Aaron Mankey, the proprietor of Wet Frog Studios, bar maybe one or two of maybe the maybe 15 to 20 things that I had him, that I commissioned him to, to work on me for, I maybe only had to give him feedback, like, you know, more than one line or maybe two of them. Like, Aaron just completely understood what I wanted and delivered it. And a lot of the time, um, I would not even fill out his regular briefing form. I would just bug him with, like, four DMs on Twitter. Don't do this, by the way. This is a terrible way to do business. Uh, and then he would produce for me a stellar piece of artwork, which to this day, all of my shows on 5x5, um, all of the ones that I brought over, uh, we only had Jory just adapt the art to fit the 5x5 style because I love Aaron's vision so much for the shows that I didn't want them to change that differently because they helped create the identity um, of my podcasts. And of course, Aaron is also a host of the Fantastic Homework podcast, which you should check out too. Absolutely. Thanks for reminding me about that too. That's a good podcast. So you should listen to that um, all about uh, uh, working from home and uh, tips and tricks. And uh, it's really interesting. So, and I have to say your, your experience mirrors mine. He took, Aaron took the time to understand exactly what I was looking for before he started. And his first, the first thing he sent to me is 90% of what I wanted. And straight out of the blocks for me, that was just, just blew me away. He, he took the time to understand what I wanted and, and he delivered it, and he was and it was fast. So I can't recommend him enough. So anyway, as a special offer, just for pragmatic listeners, Aaron is offering his app icon and logo design service. Normally it goes for, well, normally it goes for $800, but you know what? He's doing it at half price. That's 50% off. And now that's an amazing deal to get access to a professional of Aaron's caliber and experience. There's plenty of other graphics designers out there that can give you something good, but Aaron will take the time to make you something great. Visit wetfrogstudios.com slash pragmatic to get in touch and take advantage of this amazing deal while it lasts. A big thank you to Wet Frog Studios for sponsoring Pragmatic. So the whole idea of energy saving is something that I wanted to just dig into a little bit more because they said they in the beginning that it was going to save energy. Well, how does that apply these days? Okay, now we've got all sorts of appliances. We've got refrigeration. We've got uh, air conditioning is a big one. So you've got all these additional loads and, you know, people come home from work, they turn the TV on, they boil their, you know, get a cup of coffee. Actually, maybe don't do a cup of coffee at five in the afternoon. I don't know. Some people might. Point is... I think a lot of people that listen to this show probably do. <laughs> yeah, you may be right, Mike. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. Okay, so the whole idea, the original idea was that it would, that it would, save, it would save energy. But the funny thing is, in a modern application... Um, is that really relevant? So there have been a lot of studies and I I was drowning in studies trying to pick out the best ones, the most, um, honestly, the the ones that I had the, thought were the best, st- most statistically significant. The truth is that they're all conflicting. Some hate it, some like it. The pattern that I can see is it all depends on where the state is, where they did the analysis and its position relative to the equator and to the poles. So, as I sort of indicated previously, you will get the biggest advantage in that ideal zone. And of those that got the biggest advantage, the you have to consider the problem from two angles. And I'm going to refer back to episode two, the battery problem. At 20 minutes, 30 seconds in, I talked about peak lopping. So rather than rehash what peak lopping is, I'm going to assume that everyone pauses the podcast, goes back and listens, or are dedicated listeners and know exactly what I said at 20 minutes and 30 seconds of episode two. Okay, maybe they won't remember. Okay, real quick refresher then. Fine, fine. I've convinced myself real quick. So you've got base load and you've got peak lopping. Base load is 
it's always on all the time and constitutes maybe 60 to 70% of the electricity available on the grid. And the rest of it that goes up and down during the day based on demand, that is what they refer to as the, the peak lopping. And that is what varies the most. So what you have then is you have more expensive, but uh, more expensive ways of, of generating electricity, but those ways are fast acting. You can turn them on and turn them off very quickly, whereas base load takes days or weeks to start up and shut down, although it is much cheaper. So the biggest gains in daylight saving are actually to do with peak lopping. It, because the same net amount of energy is still going to be spent. And this is the thing that, that they say we save on lighting. It's it's minuscule. If you look at it, the overall effect on base load is only half a percent, maybe 1% at most, depending on the study you choose to read. And believe me, there's hundreds. So really, the lighting impact is negligible. I mean, you could say, you know, okay, 0.5% of 10 gigawatts is still a fair bit of juice. But, you know, realistically... Is it worth dealing with all the BS of daylight saving just to get 0.5%? You're far better off switching to LED light bulbs, but, you know, whatever. So, okay, the, the reason that it's a bigger impact on peak lopping of the region of 3 to 5% improvement is, is because the peak lopping period is, is the PM peak. So there's the AM peak in the morning, and then there's the PM peak in the afternoon when you're getting home from work. So if you're pushing it off then what you're actually doing is you're prolonging the amount of time that people are at work. When they get home, it then flattens out that peak. So that hour or two hours gets pushed out to the right. So previously, the PM peak would be higher because everyone would get home at a specific time of day with a limited amount of daylight left. So they would, in essence, cram certain activities in. Whereas if you push it out further to the right, it flattens the top of that PM peak. And, it, and peak lopping is all about reducing how much peak lopping you have to run. How many of these gas, gas-fired generators, for example, you need to run? Well, you don't have to run as many now because the peak is much, much lower when you've got daylight saving in that ideal band. So they recognize that there's a, a saving on peak lopping costs of between 3 to 5%. So, But if you look at the overall base load, it's, it's only half a percent to one at most. And again... Even those percentages are hotly debated. I found several articles where they were the other way, saying that, you know, it was a detriment. It was actually, you know, consuming more energy. But honestly, um, those ones were a little bit on the flaky side. So, you know, I didn't link to them. So anyway, have a look um, through the notes. There's a whole bunch of links in there if you're interested about some of the stats. But honestly, um, the improvement in daylight saving energy is barely measurable, but it is measurable. But your results will vary wildly depending upon where you are relative to the equator and the poles. So I have some statistics. Mm -hmm. This is based on the change of uh, daylight savings time in America in 2007. It was proposed as part of the Energy Policy Act of 2005. And then in 2007... Under Section 110 of the Act, the U.S. Department of Energy was required to study the impact of the Daylight Savings Time extension um, no later than nine months after the change took effect. The report was released in October 2008, and it reported a nationwide electricity savings of 0.03% for the year of 2007. Yeah. And then another one, which is quite interesting, which is also added in, that the University of California at Santa Barbara... Um, they undertook a study in 2006 after Indiana adopted daylight savings time. Yep. Um, and it, they actually saw an increased energy consumption in Indiana by an average of 1%. Yep. Yeah, I, I read I read both of those. And, and that in, that Indiana one is fascinating because think where Indiana is <laughs> um, yeah. relative to the... So it, it's going to get diminishing benefit. So, yeah. So I find the whole concept of, of daylight saving as an uh, the excuse for it for saving energy is, I think, flimsy at best. And honestly, when it was originally proposed, I don't actually know if it saved any energy at all in any measurable way for the war. I think that they did it because it was one of like rah 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 rationing. Now we can ration sunlight or something. I don't know, and that'll help us ration energy. I think it was one of those. That it's sold because there was an idea that it would, as opposed to a measurable impact. Because it's one of those things, until you try it, you don't know. Now we have 100 years, or well, maybe not 100 years, but we have a lot of history on and off over the last 100 years. And the statistics simply don't back up the assertion that daylight saving saves energy. 
It just they just don't back it up. So, so I think I think that that one is pretty well, yeah, that that excuse. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I got to thinking. Okay, what if we were to go? We were to optimize this. So let's think about how we could optimize for energy consumption. So let's completely rethink daylight saving just for the hell of it. Why not? You know, because, well, why not? We're going to shift midday dynamically throughout the year based on a formula that takes into account your latitude as well as the time of year to get maximum cost savings for your local area. Now, that would be the ideal way of optimizing for energy consumption. But of course, that would then be a big problem because I sort of said previously, in a connected world, uh, you know, we, it'd never work because businesses wouldn't be able to coordinate meeting times. It'd only ever work on a local level. And when you realize that that is the ultimate optimization of daylight saving, that's when you step back and realize, hang on, I've just remodeled an agrarian society again. Because that's the most efficient use of energy is to follow the sunlight when the sun is up because the sunlight is free. So to sort of wrap this up, because <laughs> I'm not sure I've got much else to add, is daylight saving is a consequence of our rigid, industrialized, and dare I say, unnatural move away from how the planet we live on works. It's an attempt to try and optimize our insistence that we can do what we want, when we want, wherever we are, without relying on the sun to dictate to us. And that's, you know, that's never going to be something that we can optimize for energy because by definition, we're going against the elements. We're going against free energy from the sun. It's not about tree hugging. It's just about it's not going to ever be optimal, no matter what you choose with daylight saving. And that's the problem. Daylight saving is a one-size-fits-all solution. And in many parts of the world, it just doesn't make sense. And it has a nearly immeasurable benefit. So for all those people that enjoy having that extra hour of sunlight because it works for you, you know, thumbs up, you know, pat on the back, I'm happy for you. Be aware, though, that there's still a lot of people around the world where that is not a consideration or of any interest or of any benefit. So, yeah, that's... That's all I've got to say about that. Any other final thoughts on that one, Mike? Just get rid of it all. <laughs> well, honestly, I think they should. It'd be just simpler, wouldn't it? You know? I th- I think so. There's 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 just an element of of at least if we're going to do it, if we have to do this, if the world has decided we're going to do this, let's just standardize our time because we've clearly established it actually doesn't matter when it is. Yeah. So just pick a time and then everyone can do it. Yep. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. So if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi, uh, the same on app.net. And uh, please check out my site, techdistortion.com. If you'd like to send an email, uh, you can send to john at techdistortion.com. Uh, you can follow uh, at Pragmatic Show on Twitter or at Pragmatic on app.net to see show announcements and other related materials. I'd like to say a final thank you to uh, both of our sponsors. Uh, Firstly, Wet Frog Studios for sponsoring Pragmatic. If you're looking to add some curb appeal to your product or company, remember to specifically visit this URL, wetfrogstudios.com slash pragmatic to get a great result at half the normal price. And also a big thank you to Audible for sponsoring a show. Again, please make sure you use their URL, audiblepodcast.com slash pragmatic for your free audiobook. There's a link in the show notes that have both of those URLs to take you right there if I've been talking too quickly for you to write the URLs down. You can find Mike on Twitter at imike, that's I-M-Y-K-E. And you can also find his work on 5x5 at 5x5.tv slash people slash Mike dash Hurley. Also, of course, a very big thank you to Mike Hurley for joining me on this, uh, the, uh, I guess, for the one of a better description, season two of, uh, of Pragmatic. So thanks for coming on, Mike. Absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Thanks for listening, everyone. Mm-hmm.